0: Way do this. Let me show you a better way. Hi folks, this is Jack Spearco with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things we can all do to live a better life. If times get tough or even if they don't. Today is October 29th, 2018. It is Halloween week, and we're going to do something cool for Halloween week. We have a week of music by one of my favorite artists of all time, and kind of perfect for Halloween, Alice Cooper. Yeah, this will be Alice Cooper week. I made some adjustments to John Adams' playlist, so we will be going out with an Alice Cooper song today, all the way from back in 1976. Uh, What song? Well, you'll have to wait till the end of the show to hear, but i got a good show for you. Here's what we're going to talk about today. Are candles still relevant in your blackout kit in a world where we have such cheap LED lights available? Um, And more on new automated stores. There's one coming from Sam's Club that's going to be opening very soon in Dallas, and it's pretty impressive, and I think it's pretty indicative of where everybody will be going soon. Um, We also have to talk today about parenting and dealing with children that have a victim mentality. Um, Parenting can be difficult Um, Even grandparenting at times can be difficult When you're trying to help out Uh, And there's different challenges We're going to talk about this one a little bit Um, And it's important Uh, A victim mentality can be one of the worst things A human can go through life with Um, If you have a victim mentality You will find a way to claim you're a victim Sure But you also tend to find your way Into actually being one So we want to correct that early if we can We have a question on roadside assistance coverage on your insurance versus AAA. And I'm going to throw some stuff on rental car coverage into there because I think maybe the caller's advice on this from last week got mixed with mine and maybe I didn't send the message I wanted to send. But I will talk about why you might actually even have both. Um, Getting started canning. uh, Someone picked up the shard carry uh, pressure cooker canner. Uh, super machine that I use for so many different things in my home And wants some advice on getting started canning uh, question on kerosene heater maintenance I'm Getting ready for winter to come in you got an old kerosene heater, ain't used in a while What do you do, how do you go through the motions To make sure it's going to be safe and effective when you use it um, a, a, An update on a side hustle question A guy called in, or actually wrote in a few weeks ago uh, about his side hustle and how he was holding back on promoting it. I gave him some advice, and he took it. I'll tell you what happened. And a question I've been putting off for a while and decided it's finally time to answer. It came in about a month ago. The question is basically, why has everything become so political? Everything's political. And, and what do we do to get away from it? We'll have all of that and more for you in just a moment. Before we get to that stuff, let's go ahead and take care of our two sponsors of the day. Sponsor of the day, number one of the day is Safe Castle Royal, the original survival podcast sponsor. I've been doing the show about six months, when, and uh, when I finally said yes to Vic Rontala, he, he asked me to sponsor the show and we were about 30 days in, and there were like three dozen people listening. I, I just didn't feel right about it. Uh, by the winter of 2009, uh, going into that January, Um, I decided, yeah, I'm ready to do this So I got with Vic And uh, we got the sponsorship program up and running And so Safe Castle's been a sponsor of TSP since 2009 That's a long time, guys That's a long time to support a show uh, in the world of podcasting, I think it's kind of unheard of. But they do have everything for your prepping needs, from the guns to the gardens, the practical to the tactical, and everything in between. You'll find it all at Safe Castle Royal, And they have their discount buyer's program. People pay uh, $49 for it. They buy it all the time, and you can get it for free, and that gives you big discounts on everything that they sell for, well, the rest of your life. Check them out today at SafeCastle.com. Next up today, Jeff, the Berkey Guy Gleason. Hey, you know what's going on down in Austin right now? Boil water advisory. You know what I saw today? Um, What I saw today on the uh, blog, Uh, Alex shrugged. Who did all the history segments for us uh, for a very, very long period of time at TSP Wiki. um, He just made a little comment. Says I'm surviving the water crisis in Austin just fine. Thanks, Berkey guy. Um, This is always my point with water filtration. When you get a boil water advisory, they already have screwed the water up, and you've already been drinking it for a while. And it, until somebody got sick, you didn't know about it. That's how it is nine times out of ten. Uh, I've watched enough of the you know documentary type shows where like, this breakout of some disease you know in in Canada and all these people are coming to the emergency room, and like the doctor finally figured out two days into it, it was from the water supply. So they issued a you know okay, well gee that that was real helpful. Uh, Yeah, so I recommend that you filter your water, you do it with a Berkey. Get with Jeff, the Berkey guy, Gleason, to get the system that's right for you. You can find his website at directive21.com. And again, he does discounts for members of the MSB. Uh, We mentioned uh, Alex Struggling in his history segments. uh, We're going to take a look at this day in history, October the 29th. Guess what year we're going back to? 1929. 1929. The stock market crashes. Black Tuesday hits Wall Street as investors trade 16,400,000 shares on the New York Stock Exchange in a single day. That doesn't do really much of anything anymore when that happens. Billions of dollars were lost wiping out thousands of investors, and stock tickers ran hours behind because the machinery could not handle the tremendous volume of trading. In the aftermath of Black Tuesday America and the rest of the industrialized world spiraled downward into the Great Depression. During the 1920s, the U.S. stock market underwent rapid expansion, reaching its peak in 1929 of August, a period of wild speculation. By then, production had already declined, unemployment had risen, leaving stocks in great excess of their real value. Among the other causes of the eventual market collapse were low wages and a proliferation of debt and weak agriculture, and an excess of large bank loans that could not be liquidated. Stock prices began to decline in September and early October 1929. On October 18th, the fall began. Panic set in, and on October 24th, Black Thursday, a record 12,800,000 shares were traded. Investment companies and leading bankers attempted to stabilize the market by buying up great blocks of stock, producing a moderate rally on Friday. On Monday, however, the storm broke anew, and the market went into free fall. Black Monday was followed by Black Tuesday, in which stock prices completely collapsed. Uh, After October 29, 1929, stock prices had nowhere to go but up, but there was considerable recovery during the succeeding weeks. Overall, however, prices continued to drop as the United States slumped into the Great Depression, and by 1932, stocks were worth only about 20% of their value in the summer of 1929. The stock market crash of 1929 was not the sole cause of the Great Depression, but it did accelerate the global economic collapse, which it was a symptom of. Uh, By 1933, half of America's banks had failed, and unemployment was approaching 15 million people, or 30% of the workforce. It would take World War II and the massive level of armament production taken on by the United States to finally bring the country out of the Depression after a decade of suffering. I'm going to tell you that that's kind of, sort of, at least partly a myth. The whole World War II ended the Depression. Um, It certainly helped. But the country was well on its way to recovery by that point. They, they really were. The concept of wars and recessions has been used to argue for war ever since this, this, you know, this, this accumulation occurred. And even if it's, if, even if it's more true than I'm giving it credit for with, with World War II and, um, the Great Depression, it doesn't apply anymore, uh, in, into the types of wars that we fight today. Um, you got to understand that in, in World War II was probably the last ever conventional war of its kind. There'll never be a war quite like World War II again. We all know what World War III means, right? So the the country had basically had wiped out its own military. It, we had a, a, a scant military, and we had to build a military from scratch. And we didn't build, you know, a hundred tanks we built thousands and thousands of tanks we didn't build you know two dozen new uh, cutting edge fighter aircraft we built hundreds if not thousands of planes we didn't build two or three you know cutting edge battleships we built dozens of them and at the same time we were drafting record numbers of american men so women then had to go to work well those men even though they were you know they were in the military they got paid they sent a lot of their money home, they had all their needs looked after, and they weren't in the workforce at the time the jobs were going you know, up. So, yeah, World War II did do a lot to accelerate the end of the Great Depression. It's not the sole cause of the way it's been presented. But if we go to war with Iraq or Afghanistan or something like that, uh, at a time when we have the largest military in the world rather than one of the smallest at a time when we're spending more money on defense probably than we ever had, it doesn't really change the price of, uh, of the stock market. It doesn't really change the economy of the United States by very much. It, it's a very modest thing compared to the total GDP uh, that increased for that particular um, uh, adventure. Right. Um, worse, in World War II, the the result of the end of World War II was the United States being recognized by the world as like the greatest country that ever was, and while we did spend a lot of blood and and treasure uh, in World War II, in the end we got something in return for it. We we became the world leader in almost every you know every category imaginable that we would want to be, and. It, it did am- amazing things for us on a global economic level. That There's no justification today for war based on what World War II did to end the Depression. And yet war hawks will continue to use it to sell you on the next war. It's very dangerous thinking, just my thoughts on this. Next up, let's go ahead and get into your questions for me. Uh, really like the stuff that came in this week. A lot of variety. Remember, you can get a question into me simply by emailing me, jack at thesurvivalpodcast.com, and uh, put TSPC in the subject line. And then, you know, question for Jack, comment for Jack. Jack, you're a jerk, whatever. They give me the bottom line up front. Give me your question or statement, hit the return key, and give me your details. If you do that, you're more likely to get screened, and you're more likely to get on the air. Also, I have a lot of like current event type article stuff going on today. I do a lot of that on Mondays. However, I will tell you that straight up questions, I do give them priorities. I think after answering questions for ten years, uh, it, it maybe most of the questions to be asked have been asked. Uh, but if you have if you have straight up questions, concrete like this first one, uh, your your odds of getting on the air are really really high. That uh, doesn't mean stop sending me the current events and news and, and, and you, know, uh, p- p- you know, stories about where technology is going and stuff. I still want to cover that. I'm just saying I could use some more straight-up questions. This comes from Jerry, and Jerry said, should a blackout kit still have candles? He says, I'm building my blackout kit after a move to a new house. In times past, I would include long-burning pillar candles to provide some light for a room. However, with new LED lanterns that set power, I'm questioning what advantage a candle would have. Uh, my Etech City lanterns have been through several power outages and are still running on the batteries that came with them, regards Jerry. That's interesting because those etech lanterns are today's item of the day. We'll talk about them when we get to them because there's actually a, a big upgrade to them. Um, let me put it this way. I do not believe that candles are better than LED lanterns. I think the, the best thing to be able to light a room... Um, in your blackout kit, is going to be something like these E-Tech lanterns. Uh, Power failure lights and stuff like that are great, too. But, like Jerry's saying, so he bought these things a couple years ago. They're still running on the batteries that came with them. Um, So I think they're a better solution. I still like candles. Um, So much so that, you know, every once in a while, my wife will, will convince me to go shopping, which she should learn not to do, And she'll say, you know, we're going to go to here and here and there, and you can go this place. And so she'll throw in a place or two that I want to go. um, And that'll get me to go with her so she can get my opinion on stuff that she's not going to listen to. You know, like what color we should buy or something on some crap that I don't care about. Um, But, you know, maybe we'll end up in a place like MJ Designs or someplace like that. And they always have those big bags of the, the little candles, what do you call the tea lights? And they're usually like 100 for 5 bucks, And I always grab a bag and throw it in the, the buggy. And she's always like, don't we have enough of those? And my answer is always no. You knew what was going to happen. When you made me come here, I get my freaking tea lights. Um, I, I like candles for these types of situations for a weird reason, I guess, to a little bit. One of the things I try to do when the power is out is have a little fun. And I kind of think candles are cool. So I kind of have them maybe almost a little bit nostalgically and a little bit mood setting. Um, I think it's kind of cool to have, you know, we get the little, to those tea lights, and they'll go straight perfectly in one of the little little ball jars. That's like the cheapest thing to stick them in where they're safe. And you put four or five of those in an area and kind of have that little flickering light. That's kind of cool. So I kind of just like them. Do I think they need to be in a blackout kit? I, I still do. I still do. Batteries run out of power. Things get broken. Things get lost. Um, you know, as long as you got a bick and some candles, at least you can see where you're going. Uh, I do think you should really be safe with your candles. And think he mentioned that he uses like a long burning pillar candle. Those are the big, kind of chubby ones. Um, they're fine. I don't find that they produce as much light as like a small candle in like a votive or something like that um the other candles we have all the time around that aren't really in our blackout kit are the ones from oh, what the hell is she buy them um yankee candle with like three wicks and there's a little thing they sell it seems like a scam it's not if you if you have a, a woman that's in the yankee candles they make a little metal dome type thing it's wide open at the top but it's got some curvature and some things going on to it. And you set it over the candle and it keeps those wicks from getting all sooty and nasty. Another good candle for the scented women candle thing. Uh, wood wicks are probably the best burning candles you can get that are like that. So you got dual purpose. She's happy and you got light. Um, but remember what a blackout kit is for. A blackout kit is for the basics of getting your shit together. It's not all the stuff that you might use in a blackout. It's okay. How do we you know how do we get to where our extension cords are in the generator and stuff like that. You know, how do we light the house up so we can go into you know power out mode uh, and and not have the kids crying and not stub our toe? Because God, I don't know what it is, but stubbing a big toe hurts. But I think the most pain you can have in your foot without having something actually severed or cut off is when your little toe gets pulled out at a right angle to the side and smashed at the same time. Ugh! So that all sucks. So that's the purpose of our blackout kit. I don't think candles need to be in there. I do have candles in mind because I like them, you know. That's just kind of where I am with that. Uh, next up, there's an article here from John and Moore Park. Walmart's test store for new technology, Sam's Club Now, opens next week in Dallas. Um, this is, you know, we've talked about automated check-out, job illumination, etc. This is another level, though. It's not just about that. Uh, here's the article. Again, it's on TechCrunch. I have a link to it in the show notes. Walmart's warehouse club, Sam's Club, is preparing to open the doors at a new Dallas area store that will serve as a test bed for the latest in retail technology. Specifically, the retailer will test out new concepts like mobile checkout, an Amazon Go-like camera system for inventory management, electronic shelf labels, wayfinding technology for in-store navigation, augmented reality, and artificial intelligence-infused shopping, among other things. The retailer first announced its plans to launch a concept store in Dallas back in June, which was then said to be a real-world test lab for technology-driven shopping experiences. Today, the company is taking the wraps off the project and detailing what it is planned for the new location, which goes by the name of Sam's Club Now. Like other Sam's Club stores, consumers will need a membership to shop at Sam's Club Now. But how they shop will be remarkably different. Instead of cashiers, the store is staffed with member hosts who will act more like concierge, the company says. And instead of scanning items at point-of-sale cashier stand, customers will use a specialized Sam's Club Now mobile app. The app leverages Sam's Club's existing Scan & Go technology, which is used today across retail locations, to help speed up checkout. With the current Scan & Go mobile app, shoppers can opt to scan items they place in their cart, then pay right on their phone. At Sam's Club Now, however, the use of scan and pay is required, not optional. Sam's Club Now app will also be infused with other features the company wants to try out, including an integrated wayfinding and navigation system, augmented reality features, and an AI-powered shopping list and more. At launch, the app will offer a built-in map finding the right aisle for a given product, but over time, this mapping system will be upgraded to use beacon technology and be tied to the customer's list to map their best route through the store. Shopping lists will also be powered by AI using a combination of machine learning and customer history. The list will be pre-populated with customers' frequent purchases. Those can be removed from the list if not needed. This way, customers won't forget things they usually need to buy. Meanwhile, the app will allow Sam's Club to test augmented reality as a way of highlighting stories about the products being sold and their features, as well as providing a way to find out how items are sourced. This seems more gimmicky, though, as it's unlikely customers are interested in a sort of infotainment when they're just trying to get their shopping done. I'm going to disagree with that, and I'll tell you why in just a second. But at very least, the test store gives the retailer a chance to confirm the supposition with real-world data. The app will allow members to place pick place pickup orders that will be ready in an hour or place same-day delivery orders. And it goes on from there. Let's talk a little bit about, first, the whole concept, the augmented reality. What that's going to be is, like, so you pick up you know, this, this, uh, this, this package of crackers, and there's, like, basically a commercial or some family eating the crackers. I agree, if that's what you're looking at, it won't be very helpful. But imagine now, you're sitting there and you're thinking about buying a food processor. And so you, you pick it up and you, you know, for more info, you scan it with this app. And a video comes up and explains the features of that food processor versus other food processors. I think when you're making that type of a decision with something that has moving parts or does this thing do this thing, I think that actually is a good way to push people off the purchase fence, right? When they're not really sure if they want to spend their money or not. Um, What I found interesting was I took a look at the comments, and this is a really new story, so it's not a tremendous number of them yet, but there is the typical bifurcation of comments mainly. Uh, one is the group that says, great, this is all good stuff. They should have been doing this a long time ago. And the other one is the angry and bitter who say things like, well, they just closed 50 stores and took away a bunch of jobs, and now they're opening this kind of thing to take away more jobs. Yes. Yes, that's how the market works. The people that are clinging to the old, and there's like one person said, I'm so glad I'm 71. Hopefully I'll be dead before I have to deal with this. Well... Unless you're dying right now at 71, you're going to deal with this. And it's going to be that is the group of people that are going to have the hardest time accepting this. And, and I hate to put it this way, but it is probably that generation that right now is in their late 60s and up that kind of have to die off for this to be completely adopted everywhere. Because they're going to be the ones that resist it the most, partially out of fear, partially out of some misguided concept that you're going to save somebody's job, and partially they just don't like new shit. Once you get a certain age, you just don't do new stuff. I'm also talking about these concierge, right? So, see? And if you read the whole thing, it says the store has a quarter of the employees of a typical Sam's Club store. But it's a smaller store because it's a testament. It's only a quarter of the size. So without all this tech, it would still probably have about a quarter of the employees. So it really doesn't cost jobs. That's what, If you read through it, that's what they're getting at. But, yeah, it does. Because what are these concierge doing? They're helping all the people that don't know how to use the technology use the technology. They're training the customer to replace them. And this has been going on in a lot of places for a long time. Panera Bread put in kiosks near us a long time ago. And they would have when they first put the kiosks in and there'd be a line, they'd have a girl standing there. And she would pull people out of line and go, You can order yourself right here and take care. Well, I don't know. I'll show you. She'll walk them through. And I was trying to read the menu. You can see the whole menu. You can page through it. You can see a picture. So she was showing them how to do it. Well, once people snapped to the fact that I can just order my stuff and go sit down and wait for my number, people started using them. Guess what? When you go in there now, there's people that are still going to the counter and a lot of people using the kiosks. And there's no girl telling people how to use the kiosks anymore because people have come, become familiar with kiosks. That's how all of this works. When airlines first put in the, the kiosk where you did your own check-in and printing your own tickets and all, there would be somebody standing there t- telling people how to do it. You really don't see that anymore. The few people that really need help can go stand in the regular line. All of this reduces the need for people. And we are headed to the point where you're just going to have that app on your mobile device. You're going to go in. You're going to pick everything up. You're going to put it in your cart. Even the scanning and things like that, that is only a, 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 a bridge measure. It will just simply be, here's all the shit in your cart. Pay. Click. Done. It's it, it's going to be that simple. It's almost going to be like to the point of when you're heading out the door, before it will let you leave, you have to approve the purchase. And there'll be somebody standing at that door, like they do at Costco, for instance, kind of checking your receipt, which will be electronic and and delivered to their device, against what's in your cart and they won't sit there and individually go through They do what they do at Costco, and I think they—I don't shop Sam's Club, so I imagine they do something similar. They kind of look. It says there's like 20 items, and there's about 20 items, and there's nothing really expensive in there that's not on the list. It's not like, oh, you have 20 items, and one of them is a big screen TV, and there's not a $900 charge on your – that's kind of what they're doing. It's a spot check. They'll do that for a long time until they get to a point where the potential loss is lower than the cost of the person. That's that's when they'll just say, you know, it's not worth having somebody there, you know, eighteen hours a day, seven days a week, doing that job, paying overhead and benefits on them for the fifty bucks that we might lose. If we lose fifty bucks a day and we save five hundred dollars in, in 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 staff, well, that saves four hundred fifty dollars. Done. And what will happen, you want to talk about shopping, uh, you know, theft, shoplifting, deterrent. Companies will develop policies that if you've been caught stealing from their store, you can't shop their store anymore. And they'll just deactivate your ability to shop your store because you have to buy through their app so they can just turn you off. Now, that leads to Orwellian stuff, too. What if they just, like, stores decide we don't like Republicans? We don't like NRA members? We don't like brown people. We don't like white people. We don't like red people. Whatever it is, I think that you know the government would obviously intervene in those types of situations mostly, um, but I do see the potential for abuse. But I see kind of the first step in that, you know, being, hey, you stole from us. You don't get to be our customer anymore. I'm sure people will be outraged by that. I think if you really do steal from someone and they don't want your business anymore, they have a right to tell you to go. Sought off, honestly. Of course, I am crazy. You know, I'm crazy. This is where I'm going to offend everybody. I think that any private business should be able to refuse to do business with anybody they want to for any reason they want to. Um, And I think that in in, in 2018, if you do that and you say, well, we just don't sell to black people, go ahead. You'll be out of business because people won't tolerate it. Uh, I do think in, in some instances the calls for government to protect things and stuff, we do need to come to terms with the fact it's not 1955, it's 2018, and people are a lot different today than they were in 1955. I guarantee if you put up a sign in a window of a restaurant today, yes, it will attract picketers and stuff like that. I really don't care about that, though. But if you put up a sign that says, no colored people allowed in this diner, there ain't a lot of people to go in there and sit down and have a meal certainly not enough for you to keep the lights on for 30 days, and you'd be out of business. So anyway, um, it is interesting, though, and I do find it amusing, I guess is the term, how many people are so upset about this and really think that they can stop it somehow. Uh, The memes that go around on Facebook with, don't ever self-checkout. Well, why not? I get out of the store five times faster. I don't have to deal with somebody with a 76 IQ inspecting every item that I buy to see what it is before they scan it, right? And then and then getting a, a phone call and checking their phone, and then putting it down, and then staring into space for 37 seconds before they go back and check out. And when I bring that up, what people point out is, well, some people, that's all that they can do. I'm not sure they're doing it very well, to be honest with you. And the truth is, you can refuse to use all this new tech all you want. There's not going to be enough people refusing to use it. And it, again, I'm back to the cell phone thing. The people that I know personally in my life, that his cell phones really began, began to become a thing, when they really began to take off, the ones that were the most eminent, I will never own a cell phone. They are the people to this day, when like family and stuff, when they come to the house and it's a big gathering and there's 30 people here. They spend 80% of their time on the couch, on their phone, not talking to anybody when they're supposed to be with family. Those are the people that swore to God, I will never, ever, ever, ever own a phone. They're the ones that are in it constantly. And a lot of these people that swear to God they'll never use these technologies, they will become the most ardent adapters of them. They'll be the ones that won't go to stores that don't offer them. It's the wave of the future. I highly suggest that everybody pay attention and do what you can to make yourself as marketable as possible in an uncertain future. This next one is a, a a hard one to answer. It comes from Brandon. Uh, Brandon says, how do you teach a 10-year-old about personal responsibility and consequences? Details. I have a 10-year-old daughter who is our second child, uh, middle child. <laughs> There you, you're already starting there, right? Uh, who has firmly set victim mentality in her mind. She refuses to take any personal responsibility for anything that happens in her life, from disobedience to bad grades to fighting with her little brother. We've tried explaining it to her till we're blue in the face. We've grounded her from several things and events. Nothing seems to get the point across to her. Every negative consequence for her action is someone else's fault. She's just the victim, and it's not fair. Our other two kids, currently 5 and 15, have picked up on the concept quickly. We've been trying for years, starting them young. As you can imagine, uh, her not understanding this makes it difficult. It's not, if not impossible, to teach her more important lessons about life. Any advice is very much appreciated. Thanks for everything you do, Brandon. I am not Dr. Phil, and I'm not the child psychology version of Phil. I, I, I... think I have a kind of a unique perspective on human psychology, um, and it is kind of one of my little side niche things that I like to dig into from time to time, uh, so I, I can be maybe helpful here, but I have to say that with children, this particular issue is not one that I've had to deal with the poor me uh, of the four primary control drama dynamics. I am dealing with a similar thing with my grandson right now. Not so much the poor me, though he throws a little bit of, like, you don't love me crap out, but we get through that quick. But the, the discipline not working. Like, it, they get in trouble, they're not happy about it, but in the end they don't really care. So being disciplined does nothing to, to maybe prevent future misbehavior. And I think one of the things that I've been trying to do with my grandson and one of the things you need to do with your, your daughter here is to make a very clear understanding of why they get punished. If you ask the average kid, especially 7 to 12 years old, why do you get punished, they'll say, because I did something bad. In your case, it might be because somebody else did something bad and I got the blame for it, right, something to that effect. Or I was bad because she made me or whatever it is, right? Uh, and it's not fair. Uh, don't be surprised why it's not fair. It's the favorite phrase of the uh, adolescent is, it's not fair. Um, but there, the, 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 the commonality across that spectrum is that I, they, 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 they view the world simplistically because they're children. I get punished because I'm bad. That is not why we punish children. It is It is the cause of the punishment. It is not the why of the punishment. And so when child, what children really need to understand is you are punished when you misbehave so that you will behave better. It's important. You are not punished because you're bad. You're punished so that you will learn to do good. And I think that's a very important conversation to have with kids. Uh, the, the other thing that I think helps in the whole it's not fair thing is a written agreement between parent and child. Uh, when it comes to chores, I've talked about kind of my employee handbook that I, I made for my son in the past. A little jingle there. Uh, that that you know, outlined his jobs and things like that. I don't know that you need to that formalize it. It wouldn't hurt. But if she has chores, then there's a, a, a list and an agreement. An agreement. This is what happens when you do your chores, and this is what happens when you don't do your chores, and you sign it. I'm going to sign it. That means that if I pay you for your chores, I'm obligated. You signed it, that means you're obligated to do your chores, and now you're obligated to to whatever consequence we all agreed to when you don't do them. I don't know if that's punishment. I don't know if that's getting an extra chore. In my case, what it was is whatever, like if he had five jobs a week and he got $5, then each job was worth a dollar. If he didn't do the job, not only did he not get the dollar, he had to pay me the dollar to do his job for him. right? And there was no, it's not fair because we could sit down and let's sit down and read it. What did we all agree to? So that's that's one place I would go. In this case, it might really be time to think about involving a professional, a professional counselor, not a professional psychologist that applies drugs to every child they see, specifically a counselor who doesn't even have the option. You would, you would not want a, a person with the, even the ability. I don't even want in their toolkit uh, drugs. Because drugs are not going to... Especially here. Like sometimes, some children that are truly AD, you know, ADD or something, sometimes a small amount of education actually can help them. I, I think there's better ways to do it, but it can work. I'm not going to be ridiculous and say it doesn't work when I've seen, you know, in some instances where it does. Um, but that's not your problem. You have a much deeper problem here that we need to deal with. And... I think that a lot of times parents lose sight of the fact, like they think that if I do this, then that means that I'm failing. No. That means that if I only knew, the, and this is the thing, you think if I only knew the right thing to tell this child, then it would work. You could tell them 100% perfect what should be said, and it doesn't mean shit because a prophet has no honor in his or her own country. When they see a third party... Uh, often that changes the dynamic a little bit, and they'll often open up to that third party. It also may not work. Um, Matthew, when his, his birth father passed away, we took him to a counselor, and the first two sessions were just useless. At least they seemed to be that way, because he refused to even really have a conversation with the guy. But the guy was good, and by the third, he was like, I think we're making some real progress here, and he's getting some things out. And this is why I knew the guy was good. By the 8th, when we met him after they talked, he said, you don't need to bring him to me anymore. Uh, okay. He's like, he's fine. He's, he's, he don't, he's not completely over it, obviously. You don't get over that of a parent ever. But he's processing it well. He's dealing with it. He's going to be okay. Now, the reason I say you cannot take them to a person that will prescribe medication, especially first is they will always prescribe medication immediately. We got a referral to a a counselor that was also a psychologist um, or psychiatrist, whichever one the the doctor is that provides medicine, uh, from the doctor that Dorothy worked for. He talked to him for five minutes, came out, said he was clinically depressed and needed to be on medication. And he kept pushing it like we were horrible people if we didn't do what he said. I almost put him through a brick wall that was behind him. He has no idea to this day how close I came to picking him up like The Undertaker by his throat and putting him into that wall. Um, But we just left. We just left, which was probably the right decision. We got him into this good counselor. So counseling may help here. I think another thing that would help here was to understand the four primary control dramas that people use to get their way in life. And everybody, at one point or another, uses all of them. Sometimes there's a place for it. The most dominant form is the intimidator. If somebody's trying to rob you and you have a gun pointed at them and you don't want to have to kill them and you want them to get on the ground on their face, it behooves you to be intimidating. I'm going to an extreme to show you there are places for all of these. And sometimes it's a natural behavior versus a control mechanism. Okay, But there's a dominant one in everybody's life that they use to control others and to basically pull energy from other people to themselves. And the first one is the intimidator. It's exactly what it sounds like. You intimidate people. The next one is the one that I've had to come to terms with and learn to try to control is the interrogator. The interrogator is like the intimidator light. But the inter- int- int- the intimidators, you better do what I say. It tries to scare you. The interrogator uses logic and reasoning. See why I might kind of Fall to that, right? Where you just pull the person's case completely apart by asking them questions that you already know the answer to. That's exactly what it sounds like, like a police officer interrogating you. Then you go to the aloof. The aloof person, when they want to gain control in life, they're they're heading toward the poor me spectrum, which is the other extreme. But instead of like, oh, nobody loves me, it's not my fault, etc., they just withdraw and are quiet. They just kind of go away. They pull into themselves, and that draws other people to them. The aloof child is the one when they, when they get in trouble, but they're not really in trouble. They just got corrected. They just go in their room, and they just sit there and hope somebody comes and gets them out. That's the aloof. And then you have the poor me, which is exactly like it sounds. Poor me, it's not my fault. The eeyore of people, okay? These control dynamics in family units create their opposites, you show me a kid that becomes an interrogator like myself, and I'll show you a kid that had parents that were on the poor me you'll lose side of the spectrum. You show me a kid that was raised in a household primarily with, let's say, a complete poor me and an interrogator, and I'll show you a kid that probably is going to end up on the far extreme as an intimidator. And it, c- it continues to go from there. This is spelled out in a book that's kind of like a metaphysical, spiritual thing that I don't buy into all of it, but I I, I get this part of it called Celestine Prophecy that might be worth reading to have a better understanding. Uh, It's by an author named James Redfield, and uh, it's been very influential in my life, but this stuff is all pretty much Jungian psychology, right? Uh, The work of Carl Jung. Uh, So... You can go there, too, but it's going to be more complicated and, and, and more difficult to understand where it is kind of broken down in this narrative. And honestly, that book, like the first 70% of the plot line is really great, and then it gets dumb, just, just so you know. Um, so I don't know if that really helps. That's just kind of where I'm at with this. Uh, I do think that discipline needs to be applied if it gets the child's attention. So if taking away something doesn't work, then take away additional things. Until I, am gonna keep doing this until I have your attention. I, am about to have. My, I'm having a problem with my grandson. Well, I'm not. His parents are, his teachers are, and his grandmother is, because he does whatever the hell I tell him to immediately. Right? Um, I'm gonna have a conversation with him. Like the next time he gets caught lying, we're gonna have a big pile of rocks. When you come home from school, you're not just gonna be, you know, restricted. You're gonna pick those rocks up and you're gonna move them to the other side of the, the field. And after you move them all, you're gonna put them back. And after you do that, you're going to put them back. And you're just going to keep doing that until your day's over, until I think I have your attention. Now, some people would say that's cruel and unusual punishment. No, it's not. Since nothing else is working, we're going to try something and see And if it doesn't work, then we'll try something else. But, I mean, I I even told his dad, I said, if I were you, I'd have him pick up all his toys, dump them out on the floor, put them away again. Dump them on the floor. Now, when you tell me when when we're ready to talk about this, And you're ready to actually pay attention. Because the kid's getting to a point where when you tell him he's in trouble, he gets a smirk on his face. Almost like he likes to get in trouble. And there's got to be a point where you say, listen, if you're you're going to play this game, this is a form of escalation, you're not going to win. And the biggest thing with kids in all these situations is not raising your voice. To have as little irritation in your voice as possible. And to use as little intimidation as possible. Because I'm going to explain the dynamic of control here. And, you know, if you got arrested and some cop has you in a room and starts losing his mind screaming at you, telling him you better do what he says, just to say, give me a lawyer. Like, you know, unless you actually think he's going to start physically abusing you, it doesn't, what you think is this guy knows he's not in control here. He's trying, he's, a, he's using Hail Marys, you know, Hail Mary passes here, trying to get me to come off my game or whatever. But if you sit down and an inspector sits down across the table from you, even if you've done nothing wrong, and he's very, very calm the entire time and says, things really don't look good for you at this point. It's terrifying. It's terrifying because this person's obviously got something and he's in control. He might be bluffing, but you you see what I'm saying there. When you are calm with a child, just say, you know what, if you're going to keep doing this, well, then you're going to not have all of these privileges and they do anything other than what you ask, you just immediately take those privileges. You never raise your voice. You never get upset. You just, okay, that has gone. It makes makes a statement. I am in control here, not you. Because this is a battle of control. Those four uh, personality types, those four control dramas, are about control of the situation. It's about control of the situation. And what we should be trying to do in our relationships with other adults or if we're children with other children is eliminate them. But in a parent-child relationship, especially a young child, you must control them until they're able to control themselves. So I think discipline that is written out in advance to the agreement signed by both both parties as much control as you can exercise in as calm a way as possible, and do not be afraid to continue the restrictions until it gets her attention. Every time it's somebody else's fault, no it's not. And even, listen, well, you say it's not your fault, explain to me why. Okay, I've heard you. It is your fault. This is why you did it. It's nobody's fault but yours in this situation. Further pleading that it's not their fault results in additional restrictions. and, And I also think in this case, maybe some professional counseling would be a good idea. And don't be afraid to sanity check anything I said off of a professional, because I'm not a professional. Um, I'm really good at figuring problems out on the fly. I haven't had this particular one. Well, let's take another one. A pretty short one, but it gives me a chance to make sure that what I said in the past was understood properly. David says, is there a difference between AAA and other roadside assist, assistance insurance add-ons? When you refer to AAA, you're recommending AAA brand of roadside assurance specifically, or are you using it as a common name for roadside assistance, like some people have uh, tissues and Kleenex or any sort of soda as a Coke? When I say AAA, I mean AAA, because I know AAA works. I've been a AAA customer for over 15 years. They've never let me down, so I mean AAA. There is, though, the concept of add-on roadside assistance to your car insurance. And that's what the the caller that called in last week was saying, might as well do both because it's cheap. You may want to do both, but you probably don't. This is something to have a good conversation with your insurance agent about. AAA has different levels of plans. And they only cover so much distance. A lot of times, an add-on to your insurance might be really inexpensive, but it might cover $200 of towing or something. In many instances, the two can be combined. So if you have AAA insurance, they send somebody out, the first amount of distance is free, and then it costs so much per mile, the insurance can be used to cover the differential, basically like covering a deductible with another insurance product. Some insurance will allow that. Some won't cover that. Okay, so that's right now. This is why I prefer AAA to the insurance add-on, even if AAA would cost a little bit more. When my car is stuck, I take my AAA card, I call AAA, and a person helps me. No matter where I am, no matter what I'm dealing with, and they stay on the phone with me until they are sure that they've got someone that can come help me. And you may or may not get that with your insurance provider. You, you, you may get, well, when you get, you call and get a tow truck, and then turn the bill in and we'll pay it, right? Well, you also that means you're paying the bill up front. Now, there may be some programs I'm unaware of through your auto insurance that work more like AAA, but I prefer that knowledge because, you know, when we had the wreck with the Dodge truck and the guy basically totaled the truck um, we and, and we were in the middle of a field, basically on this backcountry road, I didn't know who to call. Who the hell am I going to call? You know, I'll wait for the police and they'll know, but I wanted to get somebody in route as soon as possible. And it still ended up being a very late night. The fact that I can reach out to people that will help me is why I prefer that. Now, the thing that I think really makes a lot of sense putting on your insurance is rental car coverage because it's generally very inexpensive. And if if you have that... And you have it the right way. If your vehicle breaks down and it's just going to be in the shop for three days due to mechanical reasons, or what an accident, you can still get a rental car. And if you have that ability, a lot of times that that AAA driver can drop you off where you can get a rental car. And, and it is very convenient to have those two stacked together. So kind of that's where I'm at with it. Uh, I don't know that it makes sense for most people to carry add on insurance to their their vehicle insurance with AAA to me when you do the math and the probabilities if you dump that in excel i don't see the case where it's going to work out you know where that extra 7 bucks if you just saved it you'd be better off because if you if you need it it's there and it's usually around 7 bucks a month to add that now the important thing to know is many insurance providers will give you a discount on your auto insurance if you carry AAA. Sometimes it's enough to pretty much pay for the AAA membership making it free. I can't believe I've never pointed that out before. Not everybody does it. But that's something if you have or you're going to add AAA, you should talk to your car insurance provider. Do you guys offer a discount if I carry my own third-party roadside assistance program for the vehicle? They'll do this for a variety of reasons, not the least of which is it means your vehicle won't be abandoned on the side of the road. You're driving down the road, car clunks out, you don't have money for a tow truck. Your friend comes and picks you up, you're not sure how the hell to get your car anywhere. It sits there until you can figure it out. Vandalized, stolen, crashed into by another car, etc. You have AAA, a truck comes and takes it away to somewhere safe. So that's something that's definitely worth checking into. Uh, Next up is a question from Joe in Utah. It says, hey, Jack, how do I get started canning? Well, you're in Utah. Just ask your next-door neighbor, and if they don't know, ask the other one. One of them knows. I'm Only kidding a little bit. But seriously, he says, how do I get started canning? I just got the carry pressure cooker canner, but I've never canned anything before. What are some good resources for getting started? From very little knowledge, I have some canning lids and jars already. I know I can reuse the jars, but what about the lids? How do you know if I should do water, bath, or pressure canning? I would like to can leftover stews and soups. Can I can anything, or are there things I can't can? Maybe if you have time, you can share some of your favorite recipes. Thanks. I've really enjoyed the show in the last two or three years. Keep up the good work, Joe, from Utah. Well, Joe, primarily to save time here, I'm going to refer you to episode 1855, Electric Canning for the Busy Family. I did an entire show dedicated to canning with electric canners, which are safe. Don't write me anymore, you safety police. Don't understand how freaking heat works and pressure works. Um, But there are two electric canners that are safe to can with. There's the Power Pressure Cooker XL and there is the Shard Carry uh, Electric Canner and Cooker. Mm -hmm. Nothing else that I'm aware of right now is safe for pressure canning. The Instapot certainly is not safe for pressure canning. That's why I think it's worth a few bucks more to buy the Carry because it'll do everything the Instapot does plus it will can and it's bigger and does more. Um, So Here's the thing. Basically, anything that is not high acid needs to be canned with a pressure canner versus a water bath canner. All right? This almost doesn't matter, though, because you should almost never be creating your own recipes. Now, you can put stuff together and find an analog like if you're doing uh, a chow chow recipe your recipe might be different than the next person but the processing for that type of thing will be the same in any recipe that's an approved canning recipe and you should always be starting with that as a reference point you need to pressure can always meat i've never heard of how you would make meat high acid i don't think that would be good uh vinegar and meat that way doesn't sound good to me. Vinegar on talk sure, but vinegar canned beef, ugh, I don't get it. So meat you're going to always pressure can. The lids. There's two parts to the lids of the canning jar. There's a little ring that goes on the outside. You can use that all you want. All it's really there is to kind of keep the center cap in place. Uh, in fact, once your canning's done, you can pretty much take them off and store your jars without it. Uh, if that thing pops open, it's no good anyway. But... A lot of people leave them on there. I do not so much to make sure that they don't open. I leave them on there because that way when I open it, it's there and it stays with the jar and it gets put away and it doesn't get lost. Right? And it stays accounted for. Right? But the center lids are not reusable. Those need to be replaced. Wide mouth or small mouth jar lids. Uh, The actual thing with the seal. They are once and done. If you've had jars around that have never been canned, but you've been using that lid over and over again, I would get new lids. It's not going to make you sick if you don't. It's going to be more likely that it fails. And what really sucks is to can four jars, you get done with the canning, and one of them doesn't seat. And now you, what are you going to do, reprocess one jar, and then how overprocessed is the food at that point? You see what I'm saying? So that's your best practice. Tattler makes reusable lids. They're plastic, and they have little rubber grommet seals. I've heard they've gotten better, but when I tried them, I had lots of failure to seals, and I stopped using them, and I went back to old school stuff my granny used, and I've never looked back, and I probably won't. Uh, So you can't reuse the lids themselves. You can use the rings and the jars. Um, you, You can go to a lot of the canning websites to get recipes, Pretty much you can can anything, and all you need to do is if you're doing a soup, look up a soup canning recipe and follow the same process even if there's different stuff in your soup. It doesn't really matter, okay? If you're going to carry you know, canned chunks of beef, if the recipe was for you know, canning chunks of pork, it's fine. It's that type of thing. Start with a recipe. It will tell you what to do. It will say something like pressure can for 50 minutes at 10 PSI, 12 PSI, whatever, based on your elevation. With the shard carry, you have two pet cocks. You have the lighter pet cock that comes with it on it, or you swap it out to the heavier pet cock, follow the instructions in there. It tells you what elevation to switch. The reason for this is when you go higher elevation, it takes more pressure to get the steam to the 240 or 240, whatever it is, temperature that you need when you pressure can. The reason we pressure can versus water bath can is we need to get hotter than steam gets, if we don't pressurize it, to make sure that we kill botulism. If you have a high acid environment, you ain't going to have botulism. You don't get botulism in vinegar. You don't get botulism in in, in canned tomatoes. It just doesn't happen. It can't live in there. It's an inhospitable environment. Since canning is oxygen-deprived, if you stay under 240 degrees, then botulism can grow, create a toxin. It's not the botulism that gets you. It's a toxin, and it is deadly. It is not something to live in fear of. Just follow the procedures. Go ahead and look up that episode. Um, as far as recipes, I'm not going to do a cooking show today. There's a, I think there's quite a few actually in uh, that episode. Again, that episode is 1855, Electric Canning for the Busy Family. And I have a link in the show notes for you. And from there, we'll move on from there because that episode gives you all you need next up tim says what type of maintenance and repair needs to be done to get a kerosene heater ready for the winter backstory i bought a used kerosene heater off Craigslist list three to four years ago haven't used it much since then it's been stored in the barn i've been hearing some reports of colder wetter winter this year so i'd like to make sure the heater is working properly before i need it how do i know when the wick needs to be replaced what are the hazards of not replacing the wick or just burning it as is. Or there are there parts to consider repairing, and replacing? Thanks, Tim. Pretty much, the only thing that can go bad is the wick. Um, I guess you could have your, your, you know, your wick extender, your little adjustment thumb screw, something go wrong there. There ain't a hell of a lot of moving parts to kerosene heaters, which is why they work so well. Um, I don't believe in replacing a wick that's functioning properly. Okay. I mean, that's, that's the way I'll put it to you. I don't even think it's worth consideration of replacing a wick that's, that's functioning properly. I would go out, I would fill up your, your, your heater, I would light it, whatever the procedure is for that particular heater. I would adjust it to a proper height on the wick, which is so you get a nice burn. If you have it to where it smokes at all, it is too high, back it down. If it burns nice and clean, you're golden. If it smokes, if it doesn't burn right, you know, if it's smoking when it shouldn't be, it's time to replace the wick. The one part I would have on hand for your heater at all times is a new wick, but I wouldn't replace it until you saw some reason thereof to replace it. It's very unlikely that anything has happened to your wick. It doesn't have to be done very often. The last her- kerosene heaters I owned, I owned in Pennsylvania. And when we moved here, because there's not a lot of kerosene available in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, we went to propane for our emergency backup heat, and uh, we, uh, we gave those heaters to neighbors. One of them my father had had for about 10 years, and he gave to us when we moved there. The other one I had when we moved there, and I'd had it for quite a few years. We lived there for three years, and they all still were using the same wick that they came with. So I would, again, I would have that extra wick, because when it goes bad, it's a problem. But I would, you know, if you're not power using it, they last a long time. Um, Now, if it was stored with kerosene in it, Kerosene has a really long shelf life. It's about equivalent to diesel. Um, but if it's been in there years, and it's had kerosene in it, and it hadn't been used at all, it's, it, they only hold so much kerosene, right? So it's not like you're talking gallons and gallons here, you know. I would probably siphon it out, and I would put that kerosene in an in approved container, eh, whatever, Uh, and make sure it's labeled. And I would use it for, like, starter, you know, like starting a fire or something like that. Um, And I would put fresh kerosene in it. And if it had been done that way and that wick has that old kerosene in it, I would let it, the first time you let it go, I would let it burn for about 20, 30 minutes at least, maybe half an hour to 45, and make sure it's burning nice and clean, and then just put it away until you need it. There's... that's the beauty of them. That's why I recommend them. There's just not a lot to go wrong on them. Um, next from James. Uh, James wrote in, and he was talking about not promoting his side hustle yet because he wasn't ready. So I gave him the riot act on it. I did that about a week or two ago. Um, and uh, he, here's what James had to say. Thank you for showing me the flaws of my thinking. I was the caller that asked about promoting my side hustle. I've invited all my friends on Facebook to like my page, and within an hour I've nearly tripled my likes on the farm page. I sold eggs to a new customer. A friend of mine texted said he's showing my, my new introduction post to a local chef I guess that means you're a jerk. Thanks for all you do, James. Uh, here's the link to my Facebook page. I'm going to work on starting a blog and Instagram this weekend. Um, good for you, man. And, and I think that should just be encouraging to people. I think there's so many people in this exact situation. The failure comes from a failure to try. Uh, there, there is so much opportunity in the world. And, and we just need to put ourselves out there. And if we put ourselves out there, you know, Enough. You find some people that like what you're putting out, that want to do business with you, and next thing you know, you're an entrepreneur. And it ain't always easy, but it's always possible. And the certainty is, if you don't, it won't happen. If you don't take the effort, if you don't try, it won't happen. And again, what I said, when James the, 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 the flawed logic with James's original thought was, since I don't have that much, it's a, no, I'm not doing that much yet, I don't have that much to offer yet, that somebody will look at it and go, well, I don't want to do business with him. That's, that's marketing. Most people that look at your shit don't want to do business with you anyway. But if like that person said, well, I don't want chicken eggs, and later, you know, let's say James decides to go into the meat rabbit business, but the person would want to buy meat rabbits... It's not like he's going to be, oh, I saw that jerk three years ago. He didn't have no damn rabbits then, so I ain't buying no rabbits from him now. And I think people really think that way. When they're doing podcasts, you know, people want to get out and do a podcast. They think, i got to be perfect. You know, I, I remember when we used to take web clients back in the day, and you'd put up their website, and, you know, one piece of copy was they needed a correction. And, and their website had been, you know, they'd approved it, uh but they missed that 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 particular lack of a comma or uh a word that was out of place or maybe it it when they read it a third time they thought well we don't really do that they would call you in a flip panic oh, there's a misspelling on the about us page ah! like 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 they were going to die like somebody's going to find your about us page and say they they put the t h e r e instead of t h e i r and they're going to be like screw them and like and they'll even remember it tomorrow People think they're way more memorable than they are. By the time you're memorable to somebody, they've already formed an opinion of you that's significant. People that read your Facebook page and go, I'm not interested in this, will not, if they see it three months later and now it's got something attractive to them on it, they're not going to remember the first time at all. They're just not. Um, and again, the world of yes is full of no. Okay? The world of yes is full of no. You have to, in sales and marketing, get thousands of no's to get enough yeses. I used to tell my salespeople all the time, you know, how many deals did you close this week? Only two. Okay, well, you're four off quota. You need six a week or you're going to get fired. Well, I'm, I'm having a hard time. How many no's did you get? And I don't care what that number was. Okay, well, you need more no's. In fact, I used to be fond of saying the number one way to double your sales is to double your no's. So the beauty of marketing versus sales is that marketing is, in general, an automated process. People confuse marketing and sales as a single discipline, what have you. Sales is the process of converting a person from interested prospect to paying customer. That's the sales process. Marketing is generating the interest in the first place. So... When you have a a web-based social media platform process in place generating the interest, oftentimes the the system itself then does the conversion to sale for you. If There's a buy now button. Or when the person contacts you, what we used to call a lay down sale. The only way you're not going to get the sale is if you directly screw it up. Like the guy calls you and says he wants eggs and you tell him he's a dumbass for bothering you at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. That would be how he would screw that up. So get out there and make things happen, folks. It, it, it really is worth doing. And now we have our final question today. It's kind of a complex one, but I wanted to talk about what you control versus what you allow to control you as we go into this one. So, he says, Hi, Jack. Why does everything have to be political anymore, and what can we do to get away from the collective mindset? My wife and I are from different political backgrounds. The other night I was explaining to her my example of how one of our local government schools was ineffectual in the management of money, paying their bills late. It was a fact. I found ironic because they are charged with educating our youth and theoretically should be on top of things. She turned the conversation completely around and told me it's because they're underfunded school in our area compared to the private charter school 10 miles away, i.e., if the public school only had more funding, they would prevent them from paying their bills late. The incompetence in their AP department was of little consequence. Not wanting to enter a debate at the time, I dropped it, but left me wondering, why does everything have to be political anymore? My original point was that the person they have in charge of the books was not the brightest crown in the box Nothing to do with uh, racial inequality or any liberal-minded agenda. I uh, just wanted a second opinion because our conversation left me scratching my head on how we got here. Thanks for everything you do, John. Well, I think in, in that case, it's, it's somewhat understandable how it would be taken politically. Because it's in an area that is about government, right? It is a government institution. Now, I, I think your point is valid, though. I was pointing out this person they have doing the job sucks and probably either needs to be retrained or fired. But I've seen it in so many things. When you talk about things that are absolutely not political. And I think it comes down to how people view the world. I think that there's a great deal of us that view the world pragmatically. We judge things based on what is. And we don't speculate until we get to a point where you have to. We have to speculate here because we don't know. So when we look at something and somebody's doing a bad job, then somebody's doing a bad job. We don't really care why they're doing a bad job. Maybe their dog died. I don't know. I feel bad for you if your dog died, but if you can't do your job, then you need to go home. That's how we look at, and we look at everything that way. If we see three people playing baseball, and one of them's better than the other ones, he's the best player. We don't care what color he is. We we just observe this person is a better player. If we see three people doing a job, and one of them seems completely incompetent, we point out that they're incompetent. We don't care what color they are, what sex they are, how they dress, other than if it's you know inappropriate for work. And when it's inappropriate for the work they're doing, we might observe that. But we are nuts and bolts people, and we judge things on logic, reason, and knowable fact. And then there are people that judge the world and what goes on around them based on how they feel. And it is that group that generally makes everything political. And it is that group, It is not that we do not have people like that on the right. We do. This is why I highly differ from the right on the majority of social issues. Because I think most social issues are nobody's business but the people that are living their lives. The last place the, 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 there's almost not a social issue that I think the government should have its finger on in any way, shape, or form. I see the vile is a violation of liberty. So in all these issues, where like people want the government to control social behavior, and the right is terrible on this. It's about how they feel. It's about how they feel because there is no logical case. For instance, remember gay marriage? Years of that debate before it was finally put to bed. And it was all, "Ah, the sky is falling, traditional, blah, 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 blah. And then it happened. And what has happened because of it? Absolutely the square root of nothing. Okay? But when it comes to things that actually cost money, fiscal side of things, the left absolutely goes out of its mind with how they feel. Well, I just think. I don't care. What do you know? Well, I feel... I don't care. And it's that conflict and reaching a point where the majority of places where we disagreed have been reconciled. And now we've gotten to a point where what's left is nonsense. There are not 37 genders or whatever the hell number they're up to now. Yes, you are a boy if you have a penis in balls. Okay? Period. If you want to dress like a woman... Fine, And see, I think most people have even gotten to that point. You want to be transgender? I don't care. Just leave me alone. But now that's not good enough for the left because it doesn't feel right. You should acknowledge all of what they... No, I'm not going to participate in your delusion. And I think that dynamic is a big part of what's at play. I also think, and I don't think it's Donald Trump's fault. That's not what I'm saying for you Trumptonians, okay? I think Donald Trump's dynamic has made it more than it's ever been. Because everything is Trump's fault on the on the TV. Everything's Trump's fault. And everybody on the right is a Trump-tard, and everybody on the right is a Nazi. And even com- people with some common sense that don't really believe that are still taking it in. They're still taking in a little bit of it. Over and over again, and then anything that sounds like the other side must be wrong and must be a direct attack on how I feel. That's what I think we've got here. How do we get away from it? It's hard for you because you're talking about your wife. In general, I don't flip and deal with people like this, right? I just don't deal with people like this, right? I, whatever, and I'll, I'll we we'll talk about something else. And I mean, that's something you can do with people you see once in a while. But your wife, I mean. I guess you're walking on eggshells with anything like this. Don't bring it up. I mean, I don't know. But in general, you don't control what other people think. You don't control how other people feel. You don't even control facts. You control how much knowledge of fact you have. You don't control facts. You can know what gravity is, or you can not know what gravity is. Either way, you walk off a building, you're going to fall to the ground and die. Right? You don't control facts. Facts control you to a degree, right? And facts guide you in another way to a degree. Like gravity controls you. It's a fact, right? The fact that Donald Trump is a man is a fact, but it shouldn't control you. If it does, you're operating on fields. And, And that's... That's where all of this stuff goes wrong. That's where everybody becomes, everything's meant to be political. There's times where I think about saying something and I don't because I know how this is going to be taken. And I know I can sit here and I can spend 15 minutes before I say it saying this is not what I mean. And as soon as I say it, it's going to be taken to be meant that way. And then there's other times I just say whatever the hell I want and that's when I think things work the best. I can't talk with your wife. Right? But in general, I just say whatever. You know what? If you don't like me, don't listen to me. And I don't mean podcast-wise. I mean in life. I, 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 I can't believe it. Find another Facebook page to follow. I don't know what your problem is. I don't control you, and I'm not going to try to. And so that means if I don't control you, I'm not going to try to please you. And, and I think that the, the the real the real villain in this is political correctness. The more we've strived to not offend anybody the more we've offended everybody all the time for no reason at all. And I think that the only thing that you can do from here is you take control of what you have. I probably wouldn't breach this subject with your wife again because she's probably not ready to accept reality. Because people are conditioned, even a lot of people on the right, well, teachers are heroes. Teachers are heroes. Really? Really? Okay, where did they risk their life to save another person's life? Because to me, that's a hero. To me, they're people that do a job. But you want to believe teachers are heroes? That's fine. The problem is the cascade effect it has. So since the teachers are heroes, no criticism of them at all is warranted. You know, Unless they have a Trump bumper sticker, I guess. Then we can criticize them for that. But you know, in general, you can't criticize them. Okay, so that's a problem. But then, it, again, cascade. Right, So then that cascades into defending the administrators that make the stupid problems for the teachers to not be able to do the job the way they want to do in the first place. So now if we attack the administration, we're also, atta- by that, attacking the teacher, and therefore you're attacking the teacher, and therefore you're an evil Nazi. <laughs> well, then it trickles down not even to the, the type of administrators that we're thinking of that set policy. Now it's down to an uh, accounts payable clerk who just doesn't pay the bills. It's not they don't have the money. They just didn't, they didn't do it. Schools have these budgets, right? They all should like process the paperwork and pay the bill. And this ain't new, because when I was in telecom, we used to do cabling. One of our biggest business sectors was cabling schools. This is when computers were just really computer labs were going into schools. We were putting uh, computers into like Plano Independent School District, Richland uh, R- uh, Richardson Independent School District, Dallas Independent School District, and they were the worst at paying their invoices on time. You always got paid, but you always got paid late. And it was never an issue with, was the money in the budget. It was an issue with somebody somewhere doing their job. But now, attacking accounting practices is attacking the teacher who is just a poor woman working hard, not paid enough money for doing the most important job in the world. And it's all political. Solution again. My solution is I don't give a shit. <laughs> Probably don't work with your wife though, man. I, I really don't know how you you, you get down that road uh, of discussion. Anybody with any thoughts on it, go ahead and uh, and and. Add to the discussion in the uh, the notes for today's show or on the Facebook page or what have you. With that, we've come to the end of another show, and as I always say, you can support this show by by just doing your online shopping at tspaz.com, zcom You can get over to Amazon from there. You can check out the deals of the day. You can see all the stuff I've reviewed. What you'll find there for the item of the day today, though, is the E-Tech City 4-pack of LED lanterns, which I've brought around a bunch. I have sold thousands and thousands of these little lanterns. They end up costing about $6.50 a piece. They're very similar to a lot of other lanterns. You close them up, they go off. You pull them out, they turn on. They have a bunch of LEDs. They work really good. And you get four of them for $25.99, which is $6.50 a piece. I've covered them before. I always, though, when I cover them, I like to point this out. I did see some negative reviews on them. I saw a lot of lanterns like this. They're probably all made in the same shop, so it matters who you buy from based on how well they're taken care of. There was a problem, and it would be you know there'd be a a, a thousand four star reviews and 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 twenty five one stars, and the one stars were always thing. One of them was dead out of the box. I emailed E-Tech City because I like them. I've, I've recommended a lot of their products. This was the letter I got back from E-Tech City. Thank you for reaching out to us. Thank you for all the feedback. We appreciate it. Honestly, we sell hundreds, if not thousands of these a day. We do have problems with them from time to time. They're not perfect. Typically, the main issue is the toggle switch on the base likely uh, is broken during shipping. Unfortunately, once in a while, the top of the lantern is cracked or loose, again, probably due to shipping. Once the lantern makes it to the customer and they arrive in good order, we never hear from the customer because they seem to not fail with normal use. We currently only hear from customers the moment they open the package and find the damage. Then we immediately send out a replacement, and all of the lanterns come with a one-year warranty. These are not the world's greatest lantern, but for around six bucks a piece, they are one of the, uh, Amazon's best sellers, and we think for the price, they're the best around. Thank you. I love the honesty. Hey, this is a low-end electronic device. It works really good, but it does—they do get broken if they're mishandled. If it is, we'll fix it. We'll just send you a new one, and they do. So I've been recommending. Well, they've now been upgraded. They made a good product better, but if you want the, the super cheap version, you can get it, or you can pay more. How much more? A dollar fifty a unit. What will a dollar fifty a unit get you in an upgrade in these things? The new version. Number one, they have a switch that allows you to change the amount of light. So it's not just on off. They can be low, a little bit lighter the kind of medium light, and then as bright as possible. That's nice because, one, it can help you make the batteries that last forever last even more forever, and the other reason is sometimes you just don't want a glaring bright light. You need a dim light, so that's nice. They also put magnets in the base, and this means that instead of just hanging them by the little hook thing, they can attach to anything metal that a magnet would attach to, including, let's say, upside down and sideways. So that's really, really nice. And then in the lid, there was some space. So what they did is they went ahead and they made it so the top will come off and you have a little storage compartment in there. Now, you're not going to store, you know, the largest survival kit known to man, and I wouldn't rely on this thing as your survival lantern anyway. Uh, This is basically something for camping, the backyard, and in your home when the lights go out. But you can put stuff in there, and, I mean, like keys, a little bit of tinder to start a fire with, things like that for camping, Uh, but you've got that extra space and that extra storage. For a buck fifty more each, so they come out to $8 a piece, if I was buying some today, and I'm not, but I will buy new ones of these in the future because I love the damn things, I'd pay the extra dollar fifty. What I like about E-Tech City, they don't get rid of product unless it just stops selling. So if you want the lower-priced item, you can still get the lower-priced item. So you have your choice. Both of them are in the review. Um, I think these are a great gift for your non-prepper-type family members that need to be a little bit prepared. You can get a box of four of like the you know the lower-end ones for $26 and give them that, and at least they have that. Hell, they come with batteries, three apiece, so a dozen batteries. The batteries are worth 25% of the cost of the lanterns. And like uh, the guy that wrote in said, his that he bought with his lanterns two years ago are still working. So there you go. Again, you can help support us anytime you uh, shop online just by going to tspaz.com first. Also, you can help us by becoming a member of the Member Support Brigade. I'm just going to remind you real quick, last day of the MSB sale. It's the last day of the MSB sale. It's the last day. If your dog at your discount code, it's still the last day. Fall 18, you get the MSB for 30 versus 50 bucks. You have till the end of the day to do it. If you're going to do a mail-in form, if it's mailed in even by tomorrow, I'll honor it. Uh, If you're doing it online, the code will just automatically shut off like Cinderella at the ball at midnight central standard time tonight so if you want the discount go get it remember the cool thing is the thirty dollars a year applies to recurring members as long as you remain an active member that brings us to our song of the day today alice cooper man like i told you at the beginning we have got alice cooper week this song is no more mr nice guy i always like this song. i just think it sounds cool especially for the time it was out 76 i think is when it was released but here's what this song's really about. I've always noticed the, the, the lyrics, and I just thought they were like something he came up with. They're actually based on some level of real life. The Reverend didn't really punch him in the face, but it's kind of where it comes from. Like, so when he started doing all his stage shows and stuff, and you know, Alice is a little bit... you know, he, Alice Cooper is out there, right? Uh, at least was. I don't know if he's still making music live anymore or anything. I'm not sure if he's still around. I, I, I'm pretty sure if Alice Cooper would have died, somebody would have told me. But when, when, he, when he started out, started doing these stage shows, his like mother's church groups and all were like kind of judgmental, didn't really like it, weren't sure how to take it, because they knew him when he was a little boy, and he's a nice little boy. And the truth is, Alice Cooper is a nice guy. Um, I, some of my favorite cameos uh, are Alice Cooper cameos. Uh, he's, I think, a couple times been on 70s Show. And he's never in character. He's dressed in character, but he's always like this really calm, nice guy. Um, But this song was basically a middle finger to the people putting him down for theatrics. And basically the statement of, there's a lot worse things I could be doing than this. And like the people in the church that were judgmental about what he was doing when he wasn't bothering them, the hypocrisy almost like being punched in the face by a reverend for who you are, even though that actually never happened. It was a metaphor. So anyway, it's great music to be going into Halloween week for, right? And uh, this has like a really, just a, I just think it's a great song. So with that, this has been Jack Spirko with another edition of the Survival Podcast, helping you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough or even if they don't.